happy hump day. It is Jill Monroe. You are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. This is the show where we hit all the trending and hot topics, and we have a lot to talk about tonight, so I hope you're ready. You got your snacks? You ready to go? We are in here. So tonight's show is packed, you know. We are discussing in the first hour Aretha Franklin's will. You know, she had two handwritten wills. Aretha passed away a few years back, but her estate is just now being settled. We're going to talk a little bit about how that went down and get some opinions. I have a contributor with me tonight, Trent the Artist. We love when Trent is on board, the keep it real friend. He's going to share and give his commentary, which is always scintillating. And we have a guest, Paul Michael Bear. He's going to be on joining us to talk about his short film that is featured in the Oscar Michelle Festival that is taking place in downtown L.A. right now. All that and more. But, Trent, how Happy are Wednesday. you? How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Welcome I back. I love being here. You are always a treat. So, listen. Yes. We know Miss Aretha Franklin, yes. right? Aretha, um, you know, beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns. The queen Aretha, of shade, among other things. Yes, and doing things her way. Her way. Her way. True Aries. And, um, you know, shout out to the Aries. I'm not one, but let's, you know, My big them up. Your sister is. So Aretha had two handwritten wills. One that was found in her couch after her death. Old school. Old school. Wrote it down. And one that she allegedly wrote, um, and that one is believed to be of dated 2014, and one that she wrote in 2010. And, you know, in the 2014 one, it was basically sort of a copy of the other one with some parts crossed out and some different names added in and so forth. Well, a Michigan jury has ruled that the handwritten will that was found in the couch in between the cushions with the pennies and the change and whatever else, maybe a snack or two, is valid. And now that the dispute has been settled that the will is valid, her sons have now turned against each other. So Cacao Franklin and Edward, their lawyers have argued that the papers dated 2014 obviously should override 2010. They were discovered about the same time in her home in suburban Detroit. The jury deliberated about less than a half an hour, and they read the verdict. Also, Aretha Franklin's grandchildren are involved. They, you know, are looking for their piece of the pie. So let me ask you. You're a creative. Yes. Do you have plans for your work in the after? Yes. I, very, 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 very extremely strict stipulations. As, as a matter of fact, I changed it about a week ago. Is it crossed out like Aretha's was? No, it's not. Do you think that um, Aretha, because I feel like she's a smart woman. She had been through many, many things in her career, many challenges. She knew the value of paperwork and things. Do you think that there's a reason why she didn't have this information legally taken care of? You know, I think um, because she is from the old school, a lot of old school black people do things a certain way, and that is, i.e., keeping the government and everybody else out your business. So I'm going to stash the money in the mattress. I'm going to keep the documents, you know, here. And, you know, one person has that instruction, so when it's time, you go to that drawer and you go wherever to the couch and you get out, the, and that's it. And that's how she rolls. And, and a lot of old people roll like that because they don't trust banks, they don't trust the system, so 
the default is to tell that one trusted person or stash it somewhere in the house. Okay. Just like in Soul Food, when Uncle Pete had all that money in the TV. Same thing. Was it Uncle Pete's money or was it Big Mama's it money? It was Big Mama's money, but he knew where it was, though. Okay, okay, but nobody asked him. You know, there's been stuff, stuff floating around social media about who the real villain was in that film. Maybe we'll tackle that because, you oh, know, that's there's in, very that's very interesting. It's a very different perspective. Some of the people are saying that Big Mama is actually the real villain. Well, it all starts at the head. Okay, well, yep. we'll get into that at some Let's point. Go. But when we come forward, we will have Paul Michael Bear to discuss his short film that is featured in the Michelle Film Festival this week. We will have more trending topics. We're going to discuss the Emmy snubs, if it is fair, what is going on. We're going to discuss why one basketball wife is extremely upset and embarrassed. We're also going to discuss... Is Hollywood abandoning diversity? There are some changes that have happened in the DEI space over the past couple of days. We're going to get into that and more when we come forward. You're listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, keeping you informed, entertained, and always ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve. Hey. This is RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, it's Jill Monroe. You are checking in with RSVP with Jill Monroe, where we get into all the trending topics in entertainment, sports, culture, and lifestyle. Before we get into our guest tonight and more trending topics, I have to take a moment to shout out Savannah James. Yes, LeBron James's wife. The ESPYs aired tonight, and if you've seen Mrs. James, she also presented LeBron with an award because um, for his achievement as scoring the most points ever in the NBA this past season, it was her, their two sons, and their daughter, Zuri. It was a really cute skit. Um, if you follow me on social media, which you should, at Stiletto Jill, I retweeted it. Go check it out there. And you also should be following Kate KBLA at KBLA 1580. What are you doing if you're not? Download the app and check us out on Ustream. We hit up Ustream, uh, Ustream, YouTube live streaming every episode. So you got to check in because the chat is always lit. And also, I'm loading you up here because once we do this, then we're going to go. If you want to call in, you have any commentary to add, we love phone calls. We love to chat it up with you. 800-920-1580. Now, our guest this evening is Paul Michael Barr. Paul is an actor. He is a singer, filmmaker, all-around renaissance man. And he has a short film that is debuting tomorrow night at the Michelle Film Festival in downtown L.A., and we're going to talk about it because the subject matter is pretty unique. And the story behind how this film came to be is really interesting. So, Paul Michael, first of all, welcome to RSVP with all the VIPs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about your short, the title, and then the story behind what was the inspiration to create this piece. So it's called Sinbad the Lost Footage. And uh, basically... Um, what we did was created the uh, a situation where it's a it's a made up situation, but based off of true facts in life. So um, <clears throat> basically, uh, the working title says it, it's Sinbad the Lost Footage, and basically he um, they hired a film crew 
uh, Valentine's Day weekend of 1996, and the footage hasn't been seen until now. So that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Uh, so we actually go in between um, actual camera, like, um, you know, 4K, but then we also have an RCA camera, 1990 style, that we switch back and forth to kind of give you two different realities. Okay, so the footage is authentic to the 90s and the era when it would have taken place. Right. And then obviously with the 2023, well, whenever it was shot, <laughs> right. 2022, 2023 lens on it. So tell me about the inspiration to create a short film on Sinbad. Cause that's something people are like, Hey, what, where'd that come from? So for years, literally years, people have said, Hey, has anybody ever told you like Sinbad? And, uh, I was like, no, I mean, event eventually it just kind of, ended up being this thing where I was like, all right, cool. I, I, I get it. But then eventually I was like, all right, maybe it's a calling. Um, maybe I need to be doing something about this and I don't know what it is. And it wasn't until I went to go see my friend, Michael Malone, that ended up being the director of this. He's a stand-up comedian. Uh, he was headlining at Brad Garrett's comedy club and at the MGM in Las Vegas. So I went to go see him and support him and went backstage and we were just talking and somehow it came up that um you know people always look at me and say hey you look like Sinbad and he was like for one thing I can't unsee that now <laughs> you really can't <laughs> once you say when you said it to me in the green room because we've met before obviously when and I never occurred to me never thought that but once you said it it's like bam sorry continue no it's okay so uh then I was like hey you know he did have a stroke in 2019 and he's you know he's still getting by he's still here with us and I'm a I'm a believer in giving flowers while people are still here and we we could have possibly lost him and I'm so glad that we didn't and he's you know he's he's getting better uh, he's, it's, it's a long way back from a stroke sometimes. And, you know, he's doing his best to come back. Um, I do speak with the family here and there. Uh, so, you know, he's doing well. Uh, so, but we just decided that night, I think it was in June actually. And, uh, we said, Hey, let's, let's film something. Let's make it happen. So immediately I wrote something. I went home. I started watching hours of footage all through the night. I put something together. I gained almost 30 pounds for this role. Uh, we So you are a true artist. That's commitment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, if, you, how many, t um, like how long did it take you to put on the weight? I mean, I had 30, we literally filmed it like the end of July and I came, we came up this mid July. So it was a quick turnaround and then we got it done and edited and ready to go by November. So, um, and we have, uh, I had my cousin be a part of this. He, he did the music for it. I even put some of my original music in there. So you'll hear some of my stuff as well. Uh, it was a whole big thing that we put together really quickly. Um, and my homie, Alec Clausen, uh, he has a really big background in, as a dancer, but he's an amazing, amazing videographer and editor. And he put this together. Uh, so I'm very, very thankful for that entire team and full of gratitude. And uh, Cheyenne, uh, Cheyenne Johnson, she did all of my makeup and hair and stuff like that. So uh, really just brought this character to life. And, and when people see it, like, I think I think they're going to enjoy it. So. So as a creative, when you decide to take your baby and share it through the film festival process and so forth. What's that like? And how do you decide which film festivals you want to submit it to? And ultimately, when you do that, what is the goal? Like, what do people submit to film festivals with the idea of happening? So I've been in the film festivals for a few years now, and I've been able to study what 
different certain certain ones look for and what it makes sense to actually put into a film festival and which ones that might you know be a little bit more lenient in what they look for and things like that because uh it, it is politicized in a little way as well you see it's kind of like who do you know type of thing too and like have you been coming around and supporting the festival there's a lot of things that go on uh but then you know there's other ones as well out there that you could possibly just you know submit and and get into because you have good content uh, but there's thousands of submissions that run through and with something like oscar me shows film festival there's only 300 that get picked and you know luckily we were able to be a part of that and i wanted to be a part of oscar me show just given oscar me show and who he is so it's always a, a blessing to be a part of that um, well, in case our audience isn't aware, can you share a little bit about who Oscar Michaud is? So uh, Oscar Michaud was the first uh, black black man to uh, both create and distribute his own uh, films. And um, it's just being a part of that history and being part of a film festival uh, with that kind of background is just, uh, you know, I'm full of gratitude with that. Uh, and to answer your question on how I picked which ones, I even also have picked some in Michigan because Sinbad's from Michigan. I chose Oscar Me Show. I've chose some other ones that are on my bucket list, you know, just to kind of pitch them out there, see what happens type situation. Uh, so, you know, you, you hit some and you miss the other ones, but then you try again next year with something different. So um, what is the creative process? You said that you turned this around so quickly. The idea sparked. Is that generally how you work? You can turn something around creatively within a 30-day time span or was this just a special um, situation how does um, how do you go about building and creating your work because obviously this isn't your first film so. well the, the first important part is getting funding right so right. like we get the funding then we can make things happen quickly or hopefully we have enough funding to kind of take our time with it this was just a seven uh, you know seven minute film so we're able to do a quick turn turnaround it's only seven pages that i have to write and then i can actually go right into the character and just really do uh, you know indulge in all the things i need to indulge in to make that character come to life uh so not everything would i be able to do 30 days but you know short films sure but you know tv shows movies things like that that's going to be a process so also featured in this is charles malik whitfield right mm -hmm. a lot of people um are big fans of his work in the temptation series yeah, mm -hmm. he was Otis, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we love him. And a bunch of other things. He's been working consistently in the industry for, I want to say, like 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, something like that. So how do you go about when you are working on an independent project, getting talent that um, has been legacy talent that has been around for a while or used to bigger budgets how does that work as far is it relationships or how do you maintain those things? this whole industry is all about relationships and i'm one of those people that have never asked anybody for anything i wait for that one moment to ask um from my one ask and um you know charles malik whitfield was is one of my mentors one of my big brothers in this industry and you know he's always just been a voice of just like pushing me to be great or whatnot and I hit him up and told him about this project and he was like I don't know if I'll be in Vegas but if we can make it happen we make it happen so originally he that whole part of him being in it wasn't even in the script um he was like yo I'm in Vegas right now how can we make it happen so I was like uh I put my thinking cap on and I came up with the scene and I wrote it and we filmed it literally two days later in his hotel room and we got it 
Um, so not only just Charles Malik Whitfield, but we have Tally Brinson. Tally Brinson did the quad on BET. I also have uh, Amalekai. He's an amazing dancer. He's a lead dancer. Michael Jackson won in Vegas as well, which is a huge show. Uh, he goes by Kid monster on uh instagram he's gone viral on there so i had a lot of people come through for me that are amazing talents so tell me where people can check it out if they're not in the area to go check it out the debut the debut tomorrow night at the film festival 8 45 p.m on thursday if you are in the la area and want to go check it out where else can they um get a look at it so for right now uh how film festivals work they don't really want things out it has they want it to be a premiere in their area so it's offline right now but as soon as we're done with this film festival run i'll be putting it up on youtube Okay, For nice. Sure. So you also have to let everyone know where they can find you on social media because there's some clips there. They can see you in the makeup. It's amazing. And obviously keep up with you and all of the things that you're working on. Uh, it's going to be at Paul Michael Bear. That's Bear spelt the right way, though. B-A-I-R. So P-A-U-L-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-A-I-R. Okay, okay. So... We're going to jump into some trending topics and get your opinion on okay. a couple of things that are going on along with Trent. Now, we know that right now um, there's a writer strike happening in Hollywood. We are a couple of hours away from finding out if the stars, the SAG and after members will be joining, not joining, but forming their own strike, right? So as you both are creatives, there was... Um, a plan, so to speak, leaked to Deadline. Deadline is a sort of entertainment industry um, trade uh, outlet. And supposedly the studios are saying, the producers, that they want the writers to starve. That by October, you know, they'll have run through all of their funds, kind of. Funds will be getting low. You know, they might have missed a rent or mortgage payment or two. And they'll be ready to head back to the table to negotiate. One, what are your thoughts on the strike and the potential strike? And two, how does that impact you as not only you're an artist and you're a filmmaker, but you're an actor as well? So how do these things impact you? Well, first, I stand with everybody striking. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the whole goal is they want a career out of this, not gig to gig. We can understand that as both actors and writers. And, and, and if you've been in this film industry, I think a lot of people have the wrong perspective that we just make so much money. And it's really gig to gig. I mean, unless you're a movie star, you're still getting by. Even if, I mean, if you put it this way, you know, you get 30000 an episode. Yeah, that seems like a lot for eight episodes, but that's for the year. And if you live in Los Angeles... Listen, that money is going to go very quickly. So and you're you're always looking for your next gig. So, um, I mean, I stand with that uh, for 100 percent. Now, I hope that we make a deal because on the producing side of things, it is definitely changing a lot of things. And it's also getting in the way of like uh, investors feel kind of spooked right now. Investors don't want to invest in some of the films right now because they're like, well, I don't know what's going on with this. So am I going to get my investment back? So there's a lot of things that are being put on hold. So I hope that they come up with something here in the next couple hours. <laughs> really quickly. So, Trent, I know that um, as far as the Writers Guild East, they brought up one of the things that they are also fighting for is they represent some 
writers that are kind of like us, like I write for different outlets, things like that. And what they are also pushing for, we know that it's across the board as far as scripting, but they're also advocating for it for um, regular features writers, publishers, writers, op-eds that no AI be used to produce their work as well. So what are your thoughts on this? Have you thought about how it could impact you? All of these things. Um, I have thought about it. Uh, I, I stand to, um, with the writers, people that are trying to make a career out of this. Um, I've always, for me, I've always tried to go the independent route because I know the games that Hollywood plays. And I think that this is just, you know, by starving somebody out and, and, and you know, saying that, it just shows your true intention. So I think that this is also a pivotal moment for creatives to kind of shift the wheel and kind of take back power and control um, and use that time to to really ice them out back because we really have the power. So it's, you know, it's a change all the way around. So as creatives, as someone that not only produces but hires but auditions thing we talked a bit about you recently moved to vegas right and that you feel that vegas is on the cusp of becoming not unlike atlanta or those areas as a new area where a lot of film production will be taking place it's not that far from la so it's not that far of a travel what are some of the things that you see that are beneficial for Vegas as far as filmmaking? Well, they're working on passing a bill right now, which will be uh, a higher incentive to come film there. Also, there's uh, Mark Wahlberg's been out there for the past year putting in a lot of work for the city and pushing for these things to happen, including two studios that they're trying to, two studio lots they're trying to get out here, uh, one by Sony, and I think I read something about maybe one by Disney as well. Uh, so it's really prospering at a, at a quick pace out there. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. Uh, and, you know, if we need to be in L.A., it's only a 45-minute flight, you know, so. Real quick, or 12 hours in traffic if you choose to drive <laughs> <laughs> today. Uh, so uh, asking you both, right, when you sit and you look at all the creative areas that are available, all the different platforms where you can put out your content, um, the different levels that go with each do you think that this strike we know that streaming is a big part of it but do you think that streaming at this point has reached peak and it's going to retract as far as its popularity as far as the number of streaming services or do you think that it is something that will continue to grow and it's just going to shift we're going to answer that when we come forward after this break. You have news and sports coming up next. You are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Welcome forward. You are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe here live on KBLA Talk 1580. I am joined by filmmaker, actor, and singer. Oh, we're going to get into that in a second. Paul Michael Bear. And, of course, our keep it real friend, the realist, Trent, the artist. So before we were, before we came forward, right? Um, I asked you guys your thoughts on streaming. If you feel that streaming has reached its peak, if the cause, the byproduct of streaming being everywhere is that the product is diluted and that we have seen sort of the last of those days where we can't wait to see what's coming on Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus. What are your thoughts? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to give the floor up uh, for a second. Um, so um, I think that people have probably came, became addicted to the, um, the binging 
side of that. So do I think that it's it's ended? Probably not. I think that the structure of it may be um, tweaked. Um, it's going to have to be. Otherwise, they're just not going to have things made for them. I mean, they might have some things like that will last them for maybe a year or two years from now. But something's got to happen with the WGA and with, with, the, um, with SAG for there to be something going forward. Uh, how people take in that content, I don't think that that really changes, though. To how many streaming services are you subscribed to? Oof. A lot? All of them. All of them. <laughs> so the same, do you still have cable or you don't have cable? No. Nope, no attachment to that, not at all. Trent, what about you? You know, streaming is very interesting. I have a very different take on streaming. I I like streaming, it's okay, but what's going to happen when the internet breaks? No one has thought that far. Um, because we live in a time where we don't know what's going to happen next. There's so many changes, right? We already see that certain countries have restricted internet usage or slowed it down. So what's going to happen when that eventually trickles over here? We won't have all these streaming services. So I think that most people or most creatives, the idea is to, you know, be on traditional medium on television. But then we've got all this stuff going on on the other side. So I think what's going to end up ultimately happening is that people will get tired of Hulu and Netflix as these big streaming services rely on uh ai and not real content that's why they're striking yes people are going to shift to something real because at the end of the day people want human connection and something that they can actually relate to with people that they can see and feel okay so yeah that'll happen at some point well before we discuss that further i cannot go a minute longer without asking you paul michael about your time in Shalimar with Jody Watley. Oh. We cannot bypass that. You are a singer, but you also spent time in this classic group. So talk about how that ended up being a part of your journey and where you're at as far as your music career today. Um, so with that, how that how that all transpired was um, I had given my EP to Rosera McCoy uh, years before that. And uh, just kind of like, you know, hey, check out my music. Uh, I was working one night and just literally simultaneously as I pick up my phone, he's calling me. And I look down at my phone and pick it up. I'm like, hey, he's like, hey, um, so I'm working with this artist, Jody Watley, and um, she needs somebody that can sing. I, I, I like the way you, you know, I, I heard your EP and I think that you could do it. They need somebody that can move a little bit. And the whole time I'm like, okay, cool. They want some backup singers. All right, cool. I'm, I'm down for it. I, I've never been on tour before. Let's do it. And he was, he was like, would you be down to do something like that? I was like, yeah, let's do it. He called me back literally the next day and he goes, so Jody loves you and this is what's happening. You're going on tour in two weeks, Washington, D.C. first. I need you to learn nine songs with choreography. You're singing Howard Hewitt's parts. You're singing lead of, of Shalimar. She's making it a part of um, her tour. So she did like... Uh, she did Jody Watley set. Uh, well, we did Shalimar set, and then we did Jody Watley after. Okay. Uh, she did Jody Watley after that. So it was just like, oh, okay, because like I said, I thought I was doing a little ooze and ahs, and it ended up being <laughs> being the lead, the main thing. Learn on this the main choreography. Thing. So wait, let me ask you a question because when you got the call, it was just literally this artist, Jody Watley, like not the legendary Jody Watley. <laughs> so did you know who it was like right away or? I had hung out with uh, in in the choreography world, so I'd been around like Havoc and some of her dancers. So okay. I actually went and saw one of her performances at this late night thing one time. So I knew exactly who she was. He was yeah. talking about, but he may not have knew that I 
had knew who it was. So he said Jody Watley, and you know she used to be a part of Shalimar and things like that. Because it was real casual. I'm like, wait, the the, the legend <laughs> of Jody Watley? Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I learned a lot through that entire process. I'm always full of gratitude for all of that. Uh, it was a good time. We, I, you know, I got to go to different cities. I ended up going to Japan and. Uh, you know, bringing in the new year. It was a lot of great experiences. And then I took that to answer your question. I took um, momentum from that and uh, got back in the studio and made a, a 16 song EP or LP at that point uh, called Addict that you can find on all major platforms plug. Um, <laughs> except for Amazon for some reason. I don't know why it's not on there, but uh, you can find it anywhere. You know, you can get music. Um, how things are going with my music now. I actually. Um, you know how they say you're, uh, you, you called me a renaissance man earlier, but more of the fact of like um, a master of, uh, oh, or um, I know a lot of things, but a master of none, right? Uh, I think that energy flows where, uh, in, uh, momentum flows where energy goes, right? So I put a lot of my time and effort into this side of the world of producing and uh, TV, and I get a lot more out of that. So I've kind of put back burner of that. I don't really want to be the artist anymore. However, I do write and I still do music here and there but it's just not my first first love anymore yeah. okay okay so tomorrow night eight forty-five at the michelle film festival we're gonna see your film how does that feel like waiting anticipating are you going to do a red carpet what happens at the film festival when it premieres so tomorrow, uh, it's actually, I think it's 840 is the block when okay. it starts. Um, I think we might be fifth or sixth in line of that. I'll be there all day just uh, supporting other people's films and networking. And then I'll step away, get fresh, and then come back and at like 8 o'clock and then do a step and repeat with all my friends and family and everybody that's coming through. Um, and then we go in, we enjoy it. Then there's a Q&A afterwards. It'll be the Q&A with myself and the director, Michael Malone. And then we come back on Friday and there's a big media um, uh, red carpet at that point where, you know, we have our interviews. Same thing you did last year. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So, Paul Michael, tell us once again where we can find you to keep up with you and all your projects and all your future projects. It's going to be at Paul Michael Bear on IG. That's B-A-I-R. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. When we come forward, we're going to have more with Trent the Artist. We're going to hit these trending topics. We're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening with the writers and also some of the things that are popping off at the ESPYs, which is taking place tonight. All that and more, you're listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Trending topics and the hottest happenings. You're listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, it's Jill Monroe, and you are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe, and we are live with Trent the Artist, our Keep It Real Hi. friend. So we were talking briefly about the writer strike and all of that, and I know we're going to get into this more next hour, but let's get into it a little bit now. Yeah, let's do it. Did you see some of the Emmy nominations that came out? You know, I haven't, and I don't want to jump the gun on... The topic? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll just say this. We'll, we'll give this a tease, and then we'll go on to another one, and we'll wait for that. I will say that some people are disappointed because they feel that there are certain black shows that are consistently overlooked, that there are performances in them that people are not getting credit for. However, there were several black and people of color nominees, but they weren't necessarily on 
black, and I'm saying that with air quote, TV shows. They were a character on a mainstream show. So we'll get into why that's important and um, a little bit about your thoughts on whether we are missing someone or not. May I just ask one question? Yes, you Was can. Abbott Elementary nominated? Of course. Okay. Okay. I don't okay. think that that is a black show, though, and that's something that we'll talk about. All right. I, I think that it is a show that has black people, and obviously it was created by a black woman. Yes. But I do not think that in and of itself I would call that, yeah, that's a black show. Yeah, right. So I got you. That's just that. Um, so one of the trending topics that we saw that was kind of interesting, kind of weird, there's a New York principal that was using Snapchat to lure a 16-year-old girl to meet him in a remote location for sex. He had with him condoms, chicken nuggets, and a grimace milkshake from McDonald's. Sir. <laughs> what is happening? Why are, in this era, right, why are people committing? Now, I know Snapchat messages disappear, but if you're arranging to meet up, that's in person, face-to-face, whatever you're saying on there. Why are you comfortable doing that? A Grimace milkshake? That's what you <laughs> thought it was? It was the chicken, chicken nuggets, nuggets for and me. A grim- the yes. Grimace milkshake is what took me out. Like, yeah. they've only yeah. had Grimace milkshakes for like three weeks. A week. I mean, what is up with that? You know what's up with it? This is normal pattern behavior for this principal. He just got caught up, but he's been doing it for years. I, I bet you if you go back in his whole entire academic career, you've got a you've got probably five girls a year that can vouch for him being Quagmire. Sure. I, I mean I just think that it's so sad that you have to watch everywhere. You have to be cognizant of everything that is happening. Yeah. All of them. It's yeah. a mess. It's a mess. Um so he got caught up, though. We'll see what ultimately him. happens with him, them, right? So really quickly, we're going to touch on the, the social media sensation that is Threads. We know that over the weekend, <laughs> it's about to hit 100 yeah. million followers. I mean, listen, that's big money. One thing that I will say about Mark Zuckerberg that I will always say is that he, without a doubt, knows how to capitalize on an existing property and make it better. Yeah. Take all the best points. He's someone that you look at and he doesn't have to be first. He just has to be in the game. And it's interesting to me. It brought up an interesting point because I was having a conversation with Typical someone. Typical of his peer group. Right. So let me ask you this, because I had a friend that was saying it doesn't pay to be first in a lot of instances that. It just matters that you have the drive and you can come along because when you aren't necessarily first, you have the benefit of seeing the mistakes that were made by the other person, things that the, because you look and you at don't threads, take all the heat. Right. Like you look at threads and there's an edit button. People have been begging for an edit button on Twitter for forever. And when Twitter did introduce the edit button, they charged for it. Now, make no mistake about it. We know that monetary some type of monetization is coming to threads and quickly at the rate that it's growing but do you know that they're saying that um threads has surpassed twitter's biggest numbers as far as impression already i think they're at eight billion the highest that twitter's ever reached is five billion what do you think it is i mean I'll tell you what I think, but well, what do you yeah, think? Here it is. It's it wasn't something that was um, started from scratch per se. It literally just imported all of the users that it already had on an existing platform. So it's kind of like cheating. You didn't build this thing from the ground up. You copied everybody else's, and you just fine tune an idea 
and kind of made it your own. So there was no real, you know, build up from the ground up. There was no real um, marketing campaign. It was an app within an app that was already it was set up for you. Well, I think when Elon started, you know, throwing shots at Mark, Mark, they said that Mark advanced the project because it wasn't something that was necessarily a priority for him at first. They have a small team that's working on it and now it's blown up. They're still tweaking it. They're still making adjustments. I think one of the things, the advantage that they have, a problem that all social networks have is establishing who do I follow and who is following me? We know it's very important. You are on there performing, for lack of a better word. I don't exactly mean that. But yes. you're out there giving your thoughts, your imagery, your whatever your content is for someone. And you want to make sure that someone sees it. The thing about threads that makes it so easy is that you just pull in your followers and who you are following from Instagram. It's all integrated. It's quick. And even though they have you in a 360 deal, <laughs> um, read those terms. I Listen, mean, I went ahead and did it anyway, but I was like, gee, not gonna get me. they have a lot of access with this app. What I am going to do is utilize these type of things on a whole nother phone. That's going to be the plan. Oh, okay. That you don't, you know, where I'm not doing the same type of things. Like, there will be no health information. There will be no financial transactions or apps on a phone that I have. I might just have a social media phone just for that because... We it's don't too much. It's too much. It's too much access. We know that they're selling it. We know that you, there's nothing for free, so... There has to be a payoff, the servers, all of that we have to deal with. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I also want to see if this match actually happens with Elon and Mark Zuckerberg. You saw Mark posted he was working out with some UFC fighters the other day, had his little cuts in there. He's, you know, showing off that should it pop off, should it come down to it, he's ready. He's about that action Whatever. or something, you know. I mean, you know, and, and what they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. You might as well fill up a kiddie pool with some with some mud and, and let them grease down and wrestle. This is it's ridiculous. So let me get into some of these comments that are in the chat because the chat is going in. Tony, sure Yo -Yo, Tony Yayo, goodness, says studios are vicious by trying to wait out the writer to exhaust their funds. Terry Terry says... The union, meaning this um, WGA, wants Biden's influence and SAG after I actually think it's SAG, wants Biden's influence to set up binding arbitration. Maybe that might help the writers union. Um, Pretty Braille Mimi says shout out to Shalimar. Yes, they're legendary. Shout out to Paul Michael, our guest that was just in. T. Sworn says great topics. He also said that um, he does not consider Abbott Elementary, like I, a black show. And um, also, T. Sworn said that Blackish is another example of not a black show, which I find interesting. But I actually have a friend that agrees with you on that. So, um, like I said, the chat is active. If you want to call in and talk about any of these topics, you can reach out at 800. 800-920-1580. Hit us up on social media. You know, KBLA 1580. I'm at Stiletto Jill. That's Trent the Artist. Or, or take us with you. Download the app. You know you can also leave messages there for any of the talent on the station. So if you're a little gun shy, you don't feel like right now, or you can't at the moment, you want to put together your thoughts, hit that message up and leave a message. We love hearing from you. We love that. So... When we come forward, well, 
we're not going to part ways with you yet. But let me just tease what we have coming up in the next hour. We have filmmaker Jeremy Batiste. He's going to talk about his entry into the Michelle Film Festival. It's a topic I think that we all can relate to. We're going to get his backstory. Uh, we are also going to discuss more trending topics with our Keep It Real friend, Trent the Artist. We're going to talk about if the Emmy snubbed black TV shows have some examples that you know, we're floating around Twitterverse and Instagram in the social media sphere of examples of shows they feel that were missing out on that. And of course, we're going to get into a little bit about one of your favorite basketball wives, maybe basketball ex-wife, but she's feeling embarrassed. She feels like she was totally mortified with something that oh. went down and she had to talk about it. You know what? Are you going to think, you know what? You've been on this girl's head for about a week and a half. I really have because she <laughs> she wants the attention. Here's my thing. You are obviously seeking attention with this. You have a goal in mind. I'm going to help you get to it. Or at least walk you in there so that we can see the outcome. Yeah, I'm not going to say her name no more. I'm just going to call her Lost Prevention. Lost Prevention. Yeah, that's we a good will one. get into who lost prevention. That is an excellent one yeah. when you really think about it. Lost we'll prevention. get into who lost prevention is yep. <laughs> in the next hour. But in the meantime, Trent. What's up? <laughs> so we were talking about Aretha Franklin earlier. Something that uh, I forgot to mention. No, it's just something stashing that I forgot cash to mention. In that couch. Um, stashing stuff is that two, this, two of the stipulations for the estate to be handed over the music royalties really this is what it's about for yes. the four sons and some of the grandchildren is that they had to go to business school and take some type of courses so that they are educated and can handle this we're going to get your reaction to that when we come forward all that and more you are checking out RSVP on KBLA Talk 1580 Welcome forward. You are checking out the second hour of RSVP with Jill Monroe. You are checking us out on YouTube. I hope that you made the switch over to the new video for the second hour. Now, before we left you, I was asking Trent, the artist, what are his thoughts on Aretha stipulating that her sons need to attend business school and get some formal training to handle her publishing catalog and yes. assets? Good for her um, and good for them. Um, not only is she setting them up for a long-term investment, she's teaching them how to manage it um, and setting them up for generational wealth. Maybe it was something that they couldn't do when they were coming up because, you know, they had this famous mother, you know, probably trying to protect their identities or whatnot. So I actually think this is a good and a smart thing because a lot of the times we get left, you know, large sums of money, you know, assets, you know, that can, you know, make money for years on you know end and we don't know how to properly manage that because we've never had the opportunity or the experience before um so i it's it's for me it's just an all-around protection of her of her asset very smart and it's it's certain things in my will too that i stipulated is like can't do this can't do that this person can and you can't unless Unless, so yeah. you put it out there. But Aretha didn't do that. She just said she wanted them. Be, I mean, because theoretically, and we've seen a lot of these deals go down, especially over the past couple of weeks. Nelly just sold partial um, 
I'm not sure if it was all his catalog, but a number of his hits for 50 million. We know Future sold his catalog. I think Justin Timberlake sold partial one. We know Tina Turner did shortly before she passed a few months ago. So it's something that is happening where, because the reality too is everyone's always like, no, you should hold on to those assets. You should hold on to them. But at the same time, not everyone knows to your point about her sending them to business school, what to do with them. So you hold on to them, but how do you license them? How do you get them in a film? Who's looking for it? How do you keep up with all of that? Pretty Brown Mimi in the chat, she said, why do celebrities have issues with their wills? Michael Jackson, Prince, Aretha Franklin. I think a part of it is just something that happens with a lot of people is not wanting to face your own, you know, the fact that you are not immortal. The fact that... There's an end game to this, it's, and it's going to happen, and just thinking that you have time and that you'll get around to it. I mean, you know, we discussed the situation with John Singleton last night. Same with him. He hadn't updated his will before his untimely passing. Um, Terry Terry mentioned Tony Curtis also had the same problem. Isn't Tony Curtis Jamie Lee Curtis's father? Yeah, Janet Lee and Jamie Lee. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's some old Hollywood like regular tea, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what that is. So I think that, you know, we all probably have a hard time dealing with the inevitable of what's going to change. Or even if you take care of it in one phase, life sometimes takes us down different roads, different directions, and we don't know where we're going to end up. And we think we have time, time. to change yeah. it or we'll, I'll get to that. I don't necessarily feel that way or I have this added in. I want to make that up and we lose track of that. It's a very, very uncomfortable topic for most people. But then also what people don't realize too, is that celebrities genuinely don't have a lot of time to, dedicate to normal things you know everyday things and they delegate a lot of these things sometimes to people and those people we've heard about it they are unsavory don't have their best interest so again i think a lot of these old school celebrities just had this mentality of you know let somebody else kind of deal with it. I mean, or, but not Aretha. You, I mean, not, not we're not just yeah, talking about she, her, but you know, yeah. Aretha demanded to be paid in cash, and she's like, yeah, she put it some, in my she, purse. She was old school. Uh, one of the lot of stuff that she did, cash in the mattress for sure. Well, when we come forward, we will have filmmaker Jeremy Baptiste and actor Nate Walker. They're going to talk about their project, When We Grow Up. It's featured in the Michelle Film Festival as well. All that and more, you are listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580.